Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Out of the Question podcast. This is Andrea Schwartz, joined by my co-host, Reverend Steve Macias. Good afternoon, Andrea. It's good to be back with you again. Good. So we have a question, as we always have a question, and it is, do Christians have a responsibility to check government overreach? Well, I think that behind that question, there is this modern idea that the Christian in the United States is supposed to comply with every government program and edict, whether it's what we're going to talk about today in the Census Bureau, or if it's any other government public school or military funding, do Christians have a responsibility to be involved or cede ground to the government as they want to be involved with our daily lives? Now, this for me, this subject that we're going to talk about today is personal because starting at the end of February, beginning of March, I started getting postcards from the Census Bureau, and it was addressed to the resident at my address, basically telling me that I had been randomly selected to participate in a survey called the American Community Survey. And it sounded friendly enough until it indicated that if I didn't do it, I would get fined. And if I dared answer a question that wasn't acceptable to them in terms of their deciding I was honest, I could be fined even more. And so at first I was like, oh, well, who cares? And then I kept getting another one saying, it's coming, it's coming. Then I got the survey. And by that time, this started to smell bad to me. And so I, I did a little bit of research, went online and discovered that the Rutherford Institute had had something to say about this. And um, so I talked to one of their attorneys, and as a result, I decided if I hadn't known about this American Community Survey, maybe nobody else did either, or very few people. And so I pursued the Rutherford Institute, and I had a conversation recently with John Whitehead, and I'm going to play the excerpts from that conversation right now so that people get an idea of the constitutional issues having to do with this American Community Survey. And then, Steve, why don't you tell our listeners what happens next? Well, then after we go through that, we're going to talk about the biblical case against the American Community Survey. And really, we're going to discuss how much of the Christian life is responsible to holding the government at bay. And I think what we're going to see and hear in this conversation with with John Whitehead, who is a a constitutional attorney who's been fighting for Christian rights for decades. I think what we're going to see is a a conversation about the Christian responsibility, not just today, but what have we done since the time of the ancient tribes of Israel? What does God's law actually say about our response to the government? And do Christians have a responsibility? And I think the conversation that we're going to have after that is with Chalcedon scholar uh, Martin Salbretti, and he's going to talk about biblical examples and biblical precedents for keeping despotic or, or imperial governments at bay. 
So I'm here with John Whitehead, head of the Rutherford Institute. And the reason we're talking today has to do with the American Community Survey, which is something that he's known about for a while, but I certainly didn't until I got a very friendly, threatening note from the Census Bureau telling me that if I did not fill out this survey, which was to help the country and help my locale, that I would be fined. And if I did not answer truthfully to these questions that were being presented, I could also be fined for every untruthful answer. So I did some research and quickly ended up at the Rutherford Institute and discovered that the Rutherford Institute has been talking about this for a number of years, although I knew nothing about it. And through talking to one of their legal counsel, I was able to get my head around what this actually was and uh, started talking with them about a protocol and how to deal with it. And I thought, if I didn't know about this, my listeners didn't know about this. So that's why I have John with me today, who has graciously given up some of his time. So John, explain what the American Community Survey is and why we should be concerned about it. Well, I became aware of it in 2005 when the Census Bureau introduced it. It goes out to about 3 million homes every year, and it costs over hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer dollars, of course. They like to spend our money on things. And it's uh, basically a what I would call a surveillance survey trying to find out everything they can find out about you. Since then, though, I must warn people, and I've written a number of books. I would uh, recommend my book, Battlefield America, a Government of Wolves, where I talk about this. The, we live in a total surveillance state today, and things like the American Community Survey were an introduction to it. But everything you're doing, by the way, has been listened to, watched, and everything. Everybody has a file, and the government has access to it. So just so you know that. But the American Community Survey says basically they have a number, a lot of questions. It's 28 pages. It has a 16-page instruction booklet. And for every question not answered, there's supposedly a $100 fine. For every intentionally false response, it's a $500 fine. And depending on the number of people in your household, you could face up to, a, to from a $10,000 to a $50,000 fine for what they call noncompliance. And it asks a lot of intrusive questions about, believe it or not, your bathing habits your home utility costs, your fertility, your marital history, <laughs> work commute, your mortgage, your health insurance, and on down the line. It wants to know how many people is in your home, your marital status, whether you have physical, mental, or emotional problems. And ladies and gentlemen, don't ever tell anybody anything that you have a question about those kind of things because with the way that the uh, SWAT teams are working this day, there are 80,000 SWAT team raids annually in America, up from 3,000 in the 1980s. And uh, there are recent incidences where police have actually raiding homes, grabbing two-year-old kids because they, they had a fever, believe it or not. And those are actual cases that just happened over the last week or so. But what I'm saying is, if you give the government any kind of impetus today, you could fi find yourself facing militarized police coming through your door. Troublesome things they won't know. They won't know what time you leave for work every morning, all your financial affairs. And I would tell people, don't tell any government agent when you leave home every morning because under the U.S. Patriot Act, they can enter your home without a warrant, search your home, and leave. So there's a lot of paranoia today, by the way, in government agencies. And I've been dealing with this for 40 years. If you go to our website, Rutherford.org, you can see this. Or like I say, I reference my book, like Battlefield America. 
I go into all the, the issues we're seeing. And most Americans, by the way, are too busy watching television. They watch up to 150 hours of screen time a month. So, And the CNN, Fox News is not reporting any of these weird things happening to Americans. So what I'm telling people is get focused on these things and be careful. This is not a census, by the way. The U- all the U.S. Constitution requires is the a decennial census to be conducted every 10 years for enumeration so you can determine the apportion of the 435 members in the U.S. House of Representatives. So it's outside what the so-called census, so it's not a census. It's basically something designed to get an idea of who you are. And a lot of this information, by the way, uh, is funneled to private corporations who then add it to their other database that they have things they've downloaded from Facebook, Google, your location. I mean, your phone, by the way, knows everything about you now. If you have a cell phone, ladies and gentlemen, even when you have it off, the FBI has admitted they can turn your phone on from a distance and your laptop and record what you're, you know, what you're doing in your home. So that's basically the problem, what I see with this instrument. We, we have actually got a form letter that we've put together and, that people can actually get. You can grab it off our website. And it actually has backed off most of the uh, problems that people have seen when they're dealing with this particular situation. And I alert people to the fact that the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that citizens have no obligation to answer questions posed by the government and are free to refuse to do so. So if you receive one of these forms, you can go to our website at rutherford.org, download our letter. You can use it to send to the agency. And so far, it has pushed the agencies back. If it doesn't, and we've we've actually been in a few cases where agents have actually come to the door and somebody said, I'm sorry, sir, I have to, you know, I have to go do my business. And they've actually put their foot in block and stepped in. These are government agents. They found government agents peeping through people's windows for information to find out these uh, so-called census agents. So we've had a couple cases where, again, we've uh, warned the government file suits in, in those situations and backed them off. So these are not friendly people, folks. You're, you're really speaking to the fact of two things. Americans don't understand their constitution, no matter how much people want to make America great or not great. If you don't know and understand the founding document, and it was about limiting government, not limiting individual people, then when you get something like this in the mail, it's very likely you go, okay, I'll just fill it out. What's the big deal? Well, you know, the statistics indicate 97% of Americans answer it without anything. But here's the key. What we see our government into today is it's called pre-crime mode. They're very, very strong in the pre-crime mode. And what they're uh, using the uh, American Community Survey for is what's called crime mapping. It's a surveillance tool used to predict crime and to maybe stop crime from happening in so-called hot spots. But like I said, what we're seeing with the SWAT team raids now, and they're extremely dangerous, Kids are getting shot. Dogs are, they're shooting up to 500 dogs a day, the police, Chihuahuas included, when they do the, these raids. And sometimes it's based on information from things like the American Community Survey. So uh, what I'm advising people is go to our website, Rutherford.org, and use the letter we have there and back these agents off because they're violating the Fourth Amendment. Uh, you, you, you made a good point. People don't know their rights. I mean, how many people know what the Fourth Amendment is? Sometimes I look at policemen, they look at me blankly. They don't say the Fourth Amendment. It says the government cannot do surveillance on you without probable cause that you're committing some kind of crime or about to commit a crime. And if they have time and it's not an exigent circumstance, they have to go to a judge to get a warrant 
most Americans have no clue. They're just bowling up the information. And what they're doing is they're giving information on other people in their home. As you know about the survey, it, it wants you to tell everybody that's in your home, their barrel staff, what, whatever they do. So what I'm telling people is, is that uh, we're, uh, my, my belief is, and again, I've been doing this for 40 years, constitutional law and fighting the government. I've sued everybody from the president to congressman on down to the lowest uh, crooked politician. So this government does not respect our rights. So the only way we're going to get respect from rights is one thing, stand up for your rights. But you're really, you're really hitting it there is that people don't know their rights. It's another thing. You can go to our website. We have a bill of rights card that you can get for any amount, for any kind of a donation. And uh, we'll send it to you. And you can actually teach your kids in the home because the average child coming out of public schools today has no idea what the Constitution has to say. A large majority of Americans don't even know what's in the First Amendment. They don't even know the freedoms in the First Amendment. What's worse, they don't even understand why it was written. So they think the First Amendment has to do with, I can say whatever I want to you because I'm allowed <laughs> yeah. to. And the first words are, government shall make, you know, yeah. not people. So people think they can be, silence other people by claiming their First Amendment rights. Kids to parents. It's pitifully sad. It's pitifully sad. You know, a lot in the public schools have dumbed down the population, by the way. They don't teach the Declaration of Independence in law schools anymore, and there's a reason why. <laughs> if you right. read that document, it's very radical, especially the preamble. But they're not teaching civics anymore. They're doing uh, testing. Testing is the big thing now with Common Core. And believe it or not, America, last time I looked, and it may be lower now, Americans are number 11th in the world in literacy rate. Americans can't read well. They don't think well. Uh, they're being controlled by a system that is, uh, may I use this word, demonic in a sense. It's mm -hmm. uh, If you respect other human beings, their dignity, you do not treat them this way. You do not send them a long form saying they're going to get fined if they don't tell you when they leave home from work. And I would not tell that even to my neighbors. They may watch me. So Again, you have neighborhood watches now, and neighbors are turning in neighbors, reminiscent of Nazi Germany, by the way. Yeah. So what we're facing in this country today with these kind of crazy things and all the things that I'm seeing across the country and with the population that cannot really think in a true sense of the word like uh, I was raised to think, what we're seeing is a uh, country that's headed downhill. I would make the comment to my husband when we got it and the, I actually saw the questions. If I walked to any of my neighbors who like me and started asking them these questions, they would kick me out of their homes. <laughs> and they should ask you to leave because it's none of their business unless you want to tell them. Exactly. But when you have government agents doing it, they have a reason for doing it. Because, again, another thing that I highlight in my books and my writings is private corporations today have fused with the government. We live in a corporate state. And... Uh, they're so-called contractors. They're getting all kinds of information. They're, the government is not allowed by the 1974 Privacy Act to set up databases on people. Well, you know what the government done? There are large corporations that do the databases for them, and they just dip in. They don't, they don't do it. So they, they get around the law that way. So you're dealing with people who don't respect our rights, who do not respect the Constitution. That's the lay of the land, and we've allowed it to happen. So much so that you have people now who don't understand even the electoral college system. And, no. and, and so when people talk about that somebody won by a landslide but didn't win the electoral votes, it just, it's, it's a manifestation of ignorance. The danger is 
that people think that the demarcations are liberal and conservative, Republican and Democrat, and they don't really embrace the idea because they can't conceive of it being that these different groups work together and yeah. the people who are left. Um, They're funded the by the same corporations, yes. The average congressman works up to two, two and a half days a week. The other time is spent at phone banks and other meetings raising money for the next campaign. Yeah. That is a fact. I've told that by key people out of Washington. I had a good friend who worked for a major publication. He went to work for a senator. About a month later, he called me and said, John, it's worse than you think. <laughs> he yeah. said, the money runs everything in Washington, D.C. And that's the way it works. So we've got a what I would call a beast that's out of control. And when you see these things here, they're finding people possibly up to $50,000 so they don't answer the questions or answer them the way they don't like them. I mean, and here's the key thing to government. I tell people this. You know, when you say taxes, they want your money. That's how they keep running it. That's why they get free bottled water and flowers, Nancy Pelosi on her desk every day, and all the things they get, and uh, all the uh, expensive trips to here and there. President Trump spending millions of dollars flying to Mar-a-Lago. We're paying for that. So we've uh, embraced a system that, unfortunately, by uh, not acting, by not being good citizens, that has gotten out of control, totally out of control. And in a lot of ways, when you talk about the number of hours people watch television and things of that nature, it's very much like the bread and circuses of Rome. Yes. Yes. Entertainment keeps people sidetracked. I mean, again, the, you can watch what you want to watch on TV, but see, people now are treating sports stars who make $50 million a year who are not philosophers like Plato or Jesus or whoever, and they treat them like God. So we're back to places like Rome and whatever, and there are a lot of great writers in the past, people like Philip K. Dick, by the way, and great sci-fi writers who kept saying Rome has come forward. And in my opinion, when I'm doing interviews, is I'm seeing it with the military empire that spreads around the world. And how many people know since 9-11 that the American government has killed over a half a million people, many of them civilians, just by dropping a bomb? The American, drop, American government drops a bomb every 12 minutes. So the question is, what is happening? You know, we, we, we say these words blowback and all those terrorists and all the things we see. Well, you create your own terrorist folks, and we're doing that today, unfortunately. But that, that can only be a fact, and that can only be happening because Americans are sitting on their butt watching TV. Yeah. Now, I don't watch television, by the way. Yeah. I stopped doing it a long time ago because it's not giving me the facts. Everything I'm telling you is not on television, folks. And you need to be aware of it. Let me ask you a question. When a survey like this is begun, your advice is not to do it at all. Because if you start and you decide, well, you know what, this is weird. I don't want to do this or whatever. You're setting yourself up for more problems if you start it and don't finish it than if you just say no at the beginning. Yeah, I'd, I'd go to our line. Our letter has worked so far because they don't want to get sued over this because they have some constitutional issues. So our letter says, well, gee, we've been sending it out for many, many years now. When I first saw this survey, I was shocked. And I started writing commentaries. People would go to our website way back, mid-2000s, and I was saying, this is crazy stuff. So not well, be careful, people. So that's why we developed our letter. And these people can be very, very aggressive, by the way. And if they are, I mean, when an agent steps inside your door, folks, I'd either call us or the police. And they've been doing that, peeping through people's windows. Yeah. Like you're doing something wrong because you don't answer a government form. You got to right. be kidding me. Do you know who the people are who they send out? Are these 
people who just need a job and they say, look, you're not going to get paid unless you get this survey completed? They're almost everywhere. They're connected to universities. They're out there. Yeah, they're contractors. They get paid. It's your hard-earned tax dollars that puts money in their wallet so they can peep through your windows or try to force their way in your door. It is so egregious. Remember what the Fourth Amendment basically says? Your home is your castle. Well, you got to keep the government agents out of your castle if you don't want to end up maybe in jail if you do the wrong thing. I mean, you can be accused of anything today and have to stand trial. Most people can't afford the lawyers, and some of them end up in private prisons where they work, again, for corporations, making products for Walmart, Microsoft, and so on. Mm -hmm. I've written on this, by the way. It's on my website at rutherford.org. I was wondering if you knew if the people who come to your door are motivated by not an hourly wage, but if they get the survey completed, then they get paid. That has not been revealed, but you know, I know that they're getting paid by, you know, again, they're, they're being outsourced. It's, again, your tax dollars going to people who uh, have no idea what the Constitution says and are willing to buy, violate your Constitution or rights so that they can get paid. But you could fight back. I mean, so far, the battle has been uh, pretty well leveled by the work that we're doing. But we're one of the few groups out there that has even raised a question about this. 90%, 97% of Americans, the poll shows, answer the, the surveys and hand them back and give all their information over to the government. Yeah, yeah, well... John, I appreciate the work you do. I think that uh, it's for the listeners of my podcast who are, by and large, people who are interested in true Christian education and understanding the founding of our country, that your website would be a really good place to hang out and teach civics. Yes, that's what we teach. <laughs> right. So the schools don't do it. <laughs> right, right. But the homeschools and Christian schools should be doing it. And I, I hope think, they're doing it, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's always good to be reminded of a resource. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for the work you do. I trust that this information will be useful to people such as myself, who even though you knew about it mid-2000s there, uh, I didn't. I'm glad to know that there were people on the case in the midst of my ignorance and lack of information. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you again. So, Martin, thanks for joining us today. And you recently had a piece in Chalcedon's Horizon Build entitled, the critical importance of biblical application. So could you expound on that a little bit as it relates to our topic for today? The uh, gist of my article was that when we are confronted with these issues today, we should not be um, looking at them at the same level that the issue presents itself to us, which tends to be very superficial. In fact, that's the basis of the word issue. It's something that issues forth from something else, something more fundamental underneath it. And so uh, we therefore need to have a biblical worldview that's grounded in scriptural counsel and the good and necessary inferences from the scripture, and then the totality of the Word of God being applied. To me, that means that the answers in principle have already been laid out for us in scripture. And if we are stumbling about and fumbling about, it's because we are not applying the Word of God, and we need to look to so-called sons of Issachar, as the scriptural phrase is, that understood the science of the times and what Israel ought to do, and that means how to apply the scriptures to the situations before us. Vigorous application is uh, what's called for. Lots of times folks will say, what's the Bible have to say about X, Y, or Z? And the assumption is very little 
might guide us on very vague, fuzzy principles, but nothing specific. In actual fact, the Bible brings a lot of specificity. In fact, that's part of the problem of its offense, is that it seems to have a very sharp, double-edged sword, and we tend not to apply it as we ought, because when we do apply it, we find several effects. We are knifing away all these sinful vestiges that accrue and accrete onto our ideas and thus uh, in our culture. And further, we also slice away things that tend to steal our liberty away from us, where we're actually giving away points to those who would rather see us much more creatures of the state versus the creation of God. Yeah, I think it's good that you're going there and talking about what principles can we draw from the scriptures uh, into us. And I think it's important for us. We just heard from, from John Whitehead talking about the Constitution and about the mm-hmm. principles of the last few hundred years that have guided us. And what you're discussing, this kind of biblical framework, we are not the first Christians to look at the scriptures and say, how do we see our responsibility to the government? Even the Constitution right. itself is the founding fathers looking to the scriptures, trying to find checks and balances. And that tradition goes back to, I think Rushton would say, common law, or even the Magna Carta, there's always been attempts to take scriptural principles and what you said, use the inferences and the, the citations there to build a, a kind of wall to hedge the protection of individual liberties against uh, the encroachments of despotic governments. Correct. And uh, of course, if we fall down on this front, we create a moral legal vacuum and humanism is more than happy to rush in and fill that vacuum. Uh, our biggest problem is that most of our defeats are due to forfeit as opposed to actually confronting the enemy toe-to-toe. If it's true that he that's in us is greater than he that's in the world, we should actually be winning most of these battles. And I think the fact that we find ourselves in retreat or among the retreating is because we've adopted a mindset of retreat uh, and because we no longer see the relevance of the Word of God. But once the Word of God is seen as a two-edged sword that cuts asunder everything, uh, every topic can be dealt with through it, through the lens of Scripture, then we're not going to be running away. You know, it'll be one or two of us putting a thousand to flight. Uh, and that's why moral courage is required to apply this. It's not going to be convenient, but it's going to be the right thing to do. Right. So how do you get there? You start with uh, something like the American Community Survey. You know, it's the year 2019. This is a demographic survey. People will say, why even bother going against this? Just go with the flow. What do you have to hide? What does it care if the government knows if you're Latino or if there's 12 people in your household? Don't they just use this information to give you better government services? How do you, as a, as a scholar, as a theologian, how do you make the connection between you know, Old Testament laws and something specific as the American Community Survey? Well, there are several approaches to this. You can get very granular, like Dr. Philip Kaiser did in his assessment, or you can take the, uh, the 30,000 foot high view flying over it at the high level and see what's going on. If you take a back step back, what you see is the state acting like God, specifically the fact that God is omniscient. And the way that the state and the central planners of the state achieve that omniscience is by extraction of information, either through folks being uh, imposed upon to spy on their neighbors or much easier have you uh, expose yourself to their scrutiny because they need to have information. The premise is unlimited knowledge, we can have unlimited control. The problem with socialistic systems is they require knowledge in order to make the central plan work. And so they always see the flaw in socialism's failure, the statism's failure is a failure of knowledge. So the more they know, the more they can 
minutely plan, the more they can be godlike, because they know full well that if there is a God, his eyes run throughout the whole world to and fro, as it says in Second Chronicles 16.9, I believe. And his eyes are always on man. And so we have the same level of surveillance that is creeping in to every area. There's a great book by the late uh, John Taylor Gatto, the Dumbing Us Down, where he talks about the principle of surveillance of the students being uh, transmitted into the household by the vehicle of homework. And he brings this dynamic up showing uh, at every single level, we don't realize that there's encroachments and that the state is seeking this knowledge and that knowledge is not in for its own sake, but for a scientific purpose, control. Uh, so they can control the outcomes and guarantee it. Therefore, it's a form of the predestination of the state to have this level of knowledge. And therefore, the state can grow by leaps and bounds because first you have to acquire the information, then you have to process it, and then you're going to use it to expand state power uh, and deploy its implications and presumably create that utopia. These are all various roads to utopia to the vehicle of the acquisition of omniscience. So to the extent that the state requires omniscience, it's an admission that it's not yet God, but it's on the way because the more it knows, the more it can plan and the more it can make its mission manifest in the world. And it's not one that's consistent with the biblical uh, governorship of God, where he's the governor among the nations. That's right. Uh, just another, you know, another example about knowledge. When Dr. Rushton talked about city planners, he pointed out something interesting, and I'm going to expand it just slightly to show you what's going on here. He said the earlier city planners in the medieval period and following, following the instructions of the kings, they said how best to control the population. First step, straighten out all these curved streets. If the streets are straight, we can run a cannonade through them to control the populace because the population is a perpetual problem for uh, the state. That's the enemy within, if you will, from the state's point of view. Whereas in, uh, outside enemies are occasional, you always have a 24 presence of your own citizenry. So the streets were straightened for a purpose, and it was not a good purpose. <laughs> it was presented that way as wisdom and stuff, but the wisdom was that the state could control the people better. One other implication of great streets to think about is that when you can see down a straight street and know more about who's there on the street, a curved street uh, does not disclose everyone who's sitting on the street or what forces are coming at a, uh, a despotic government that perhaps is being primed for an overthrow. So the, the other purpose of a straight street is to gain more information about a potential enemy coming your way. So in all these uh, instances, the state is very much interested in knowledge and its acquisition, and therefore it regards itself as having almost a divine right to have it. And therefore it implies uh, and it cajoles and it shames us into providing it so that it can do what it's good. It's always presented as a good uh, yielding of our liberties. But this is not the way the scripture points it out. And we'll get to the more granular aspects of why this falls apart in terms of knowing information about your people, because it exceeds the mandate of government, which is justice. You don't need to know all these details about number of toilets and how often you wash to protect the people from violations of biblical law. That is um, harm to property, to person, to family, to, uh, life, limb, things that the biblical law is referring to. Right. Um, these exceed that charter because it's a utopia that's being constructed piece by piece. And this acquisition of knowledge is one of the prerequisites to get to the utopia that's being planned for us. Yeah, and, and you, would, you would think that we as Christians would be familiar with the purpose of the Bible census, of a, you know, building an army through the census and building a, a community through the census, that when we see 
a rival census, we should recognize that the rival God is trying to do the same thing that our God is doing with the census. But, you know, we seem to think somehow that the government of our age is out for our best interest. I really like what you said about the streets, because that's how we got the highway system here in Europe and the United States of how do you best move military or a government operation uh, operation through the country? You build straight paths. Um, so even something that was presented as a good, here's a, a highway that we use to travel freely, also has this ulterior purpose of, of being a military edifice. I think it's probably true that when things are presented as something positive, people are very sensitive today about borders being open, but how many people know that in order to build a wall, private property is being confiscated? So if you just look at it from the point of view of what benefits me or, gee, that sounds like a good idea, and you don't go beneath the surface, you can be agreeing to things that in the case of taking people's private property is a violation of God's law regarding theft. Correct. And that's the issue of uh, extraterritoriality. There's a chapter in Dr. Restroni's book, Christianity in the State, that deals with this and the topic of eminent domain. God does have eminent domain, (laughs) but the state does not. And then this is another example of the overreach where the state claims godlike powers because, as Hegel indicated, it does represent God walking on earth. It's the physical presence, so far as humanism is concerned, of what godlike control is. And it's always for the same plan, which is the city of man being uh, glorified and set on its pedestal, except that it's a Tower of Babel, ultimately, and it doesn't cohere. It falls apart. But it's not for lack of trying that they don't try to make it pull together. And they believe that They have a scientific worldview. And under scientism, what mankind lacks is not a moral problem. Mankind's problem is not a moral. It's always an epistemological. He doesn't know enough. If he knew enough, he would solve his problems and he would not sin. He would not murder. He would not do all these horrible things. It's a knowledge problem. And therefore, man is a victim of ignorance. But under biblical law, man is not a victim. He's a perpetrator. And his problem is not uh, anything other than moral and ethical. It's not epistemological. It's not a knowledge problem. Uh, or ignorance problem, except of the law perhaps, but rather it's a moral problem. And so this is when you have political solutions, which all these surveys are designed to help implement, you're actually getting farther away from biblical solutions, and you're actually entrenching yourself and getting yourself deeper in to the humanistic situation. And here's what happens. That means that now we're growing the other false god, and it's going to take a lot longer to dig ourselves out from under that in order to press the crown rights of Christ in opposition to the crown rights of Caesar. Whatever legitimate domain Caesar has, it's limited to the civil magistrate's sword to be a terror to evildoers and to be a blessing to those who do what's right by protecting them. There's a basis for thinking that uh, Romans 13.1, that so-called higher powers, a better interpretation or translation would be the protecting powers, the protecting authorities, that uh, are responsible to protect those that are under them. Well, all these surveys have nothing to do with protection, so they don't qualify as aspects of the protection that may be afforded by a, a human prince. Right. Uh, There's the basis of this in, uh, in Isaiah 32, 1 and 2, we have the, the, obviously the Messianic passage, and then it says, and then the principle of rule and righteousness, and then men will be a protection, a covered in a storm, and a safe hiding place from 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 uh, danger, etc. That's in the essence of the protections that civil government ought to have. 
so we when we go past that, when we extrapolate and say we're going to go beyond these limitations, that means we think that God's word is insufficient and God's plan for civil government is inadequate, and therefore we have, we set it aside, put in man's plan, and put in a disaster instead. Because every time we use man's plans and man's theories and man's political science, man is the one who suffers. We get back to the Orwellian notion that the future is a boot stamp on human face forever. And the more information that the state has, the easier it is to send that boot to its target. Right. And I, and I think what you're, what you're pointing out is something that Rushdie points out in the, I think is his American System book, where he talks about uh, this state, this Aurelian state that uh, John Whitehead just talked about, the more it, it grows and tries to remove itself from its religious constraints, right? So whether it's an American system or any type of Western European system, its origins, of course, were to protect uh, this ethical idea you're talking about, using God's law as a standard for judging individuals against other individuals, protecting private property and life and, and human happiness and all those fun things. But what you are describing is the state that grows and grows and becomes kind of an intermediary, you know, a new mediator between the state and man. And so organizations that have been popped up, you know, the Census Bureau or any other government programs, then, as you say, suck up that information and try to create systems where the state is now fulfilling the salvation of the people. What you talked about in the, a new utopia is the word you used, is then given by the the mediator that is the state rather than a true heaven, which is given by the divine omnipotent creator. And these are all the expansions of state power. The notion that the state can be trusted with its power and that it's in, in, in essentially benevolent is a very dangerous notion. Lord Acton had it right in the famous quotation that uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But the problem is not necessarily in the power. It's the fact that man is a moral agent and a fallen moral agent and is going to act according to his nature, which is to become a false god and to uh, aggregate in collectives that will again concentrate power at the top so that the desired society is the end result. And they're willing to break a lot of eggs to make the omelet. And sometimes it's surreptitious and sometimes it looks reasonable. And that's part of the problem is that a lot of reasonable things are unbiblical. And so if we're cowardly, if we say, well, I don't want to seem unreasonable uh, in mounting a challenge, you know, make your case. If you have a problem with uh, the scripture uh, or the pastors, dig in. There's a 21 centuries of scholarship here that we can lean on. Not all of it's perfect. Not everything from Chalcedon is perfect by any stretch and, and our, from our pulpit, certainly. But there's wisdom accumulated there. And we've fought these battles before. It's a shame that we're reinventing these wheels left and right. Now, we should know, and this is what Dr. Kaiser's burden is in the article that we published about this particular American community survey, that these things have been dealt with in ancient Israel decisively. And so we don't need to uh, flail about wondering, well, where would we find any guidance at all about acquiring information about the populace? Well, let's see. We actually have two examples, a good and a bad one. I mean, you don't get more black and white than the examples of the two censuses conducted by David the one lawful and the other one unlawful. And what Dr. Kaiser is pointing out, as you well know from reading the article, Andrea and uh, Steve, is that the American Community Survey follows and breaks even the violations and exceeds them of the lawless one that 
was satanically motivated for that matter that David imposed on his populace. And so we're in bad company if we're going down that path. We're following the rules of the second census, which was condemned in a source of uh, curse to Israel and uh, Israel's people. And that's the other point that Dr. Kaiser points out. He says, why did he ask the question rhetorically, why were the people also punished for David's sin? Because they were on the hook to oppose it. You know, it's one of those amazing things, and Steve, maybe you've commented on this com- uh, passage in uh, the Gospels, where uh, Jesus condemns hypocrisy to people when, he's, when they're, you know, they see him doing miracles, but then they run to the scribes and Pharisees and say, is this the Messiah or not? And he says, you're hypocrites. He said, you can discern the face of the sky, whether it's going to be a stormy or not the next morning, but you don't discern the signs of the times. He says that right in front of you, God gave you adequate information and adequate tool sets in your mind to tell you whether or not the Messiah is working here. There's blind people seeing. There's the lame walking, the dead rising. If that's not adequate evidence, then why are you trusting anybody? So uh, that message there is that we are moral agents that have adequate knowledge to make a decision and to apply the scripture. So it's hypocrisy to say we need someone else's opinion or we need to defer to the king on, on X, Y, and Z. The old bumper sticker scripture, it's uh, Micah 6, 8, you know, what, does God, what does God require of thee, O man? And people love that verse, but they don't finish through to the 16th verse, because in nine, verses 9 and 10 behind it, they're talking about monetary inflation that's inflicted uh, by the people there on them, and they're participating in it because they benefit from it. And in the final verses, we hear that God's going to curse them because they follow the uh, statutes of uh, Omri and the counsels of Ahab. In other words, far from being commended by God that they're following the laws that were put put in place by previous governments of Israel, these statutes that are on the books, he condemns them for it because they're in violation with his law. And he said, you guys are on the hook. You know better than to follow the statutes of uh, Omri and the counsels of Ahab, because I've given you my counsels and my statutes and precepts and testimonies and laws and commandments, and those are the ones you're to walk by, and you cannot excuse yourself on the notion that, well, you know, that's what Omri has on the books. Well, according to God, if you're going to follow Omri and not God, you're going to pay a very, very heavy price, much higher price than you could possibly pay with Omri. Because as Jesus said, hey, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. You know, it's interesting, both you and John Whitehead used the term satanic. And I have to tell you, when I received the postcard in the mail, and once I did my research, and I saw that they were serious about at least threatening penalties, the first thing that came over me was a little bit of fear, kind of like, well, who am I to resist this? And the more research I did, and John explained it, they get very aggressive coming to your home, sometimes going into your backyard and peering in your window. And we have to come to terms with the fact that liberty is not something that we all naturally gravitate towards. It goes against our sinful nature to want liberty. But if we really embrace liberty and teach it to our children, that's the only way we have a chance as long as we understand that true liberty is the ability to obey God. That's right. And I think it's Henry, Patrick Henry, who says that the the cost 
of that liberty is eternal vigilance. And Martin has mentioned a few, a few things that are in our ancient history, you know, the biblical history. But even since the time of Christ, we've had a number of examples of Christians being involved and instigating with this conflict of what role does the Christian have in curbing government encroachment? Whether you talk about Christ versus Caesar or the, the apostles versus the, the local Roman governors, or even if you go into the early church period where you have men like, like St. Ambrose who are chastising uh, Emperor Theodosius for the slaughter of innocent people and ascribing penance to the emperor. There have always been Christians uh, from the very beginning who attempted to curb the growth of the state because they yeah. recognized that as the state grew, the bigger the state got, the more godlike the state got, the smaller the church was. Those attempts to fill in our humanitarian roles, whether it's government health care or government education, government benevolence is always taking away from the proper and legitimate role of the church. The diaconal roles of caring for widows, of, of providing for the well-being of the church, when we give those away to the state, the church itself is weakened. Uh, it's, it's undercut by giving away our mandate. And that's what you see in those passages that, that we've just read, that the ancient Israelites, it's not so much that they were doing something that was not pragmatic. Maybe it would have fed more people, or maybe it would have put more money in the bank. But what was happening is they were breaking an ethical commandment and undercutting God's intended predestinated purposes. And what's seen today is whether it's education or healthcare or the Census Bureau, every little bit we give to the government takes away from the other spheres. The family is weakened, the individual is weakened, the church is weakened, every institution is weakened when the state grows. That's true because it, it boils down to this. If your God is shrinking, then the state has to expand to fill that vacuum. Where God is big, the state is small because the people follow God and they're following his commandments and the sufficiency of scripture is borne out in the fact because people see the vision and they adopt it. It becomes contagious and their society is now shaped by the word of God and the laws of God infiltrating it, governing it, moderating everything and providing justice and a context for the blessings of the scripture said will flow was a result peace between man and god peace between man and man and then the earth yields her strength and all these wonderful blessings another thing issue that, that, that comes forward here is that it's true that knowledge is power so by acquiring more knowledge the state simply is trying to become more powerful and they're not very very they're not going to give you the results of these uh, this, uh, various surveys that's the funny thing they actually reserve that and hold it very tight to their vest why is that information asymmetry. In other words, uh, it's to my advantage to know something that you don't and keep you ignorant of it so that I become the elite possessor of the information and you become the one who has to depend on me because I'm the one who has the information and I'm going to then manipulate this information for presumed good. So I always have to be on the, on the lookout uh, for these kind of things. These are all encroachments. These are all boundary violations from the point of view of Scripture. You know, the very first boundary violation was an attempt to acquire knowledge that was not ours to have, right? When Adam and Eve reached out their hand to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and violating the basic principle that is reflected, say, in Deuteronomy 29.29, you know, the things that are revealed are given to the sons of men, but the secret things belong to the Most High God. You don't 
take lightly the piercing of that boundary between what's divinely held in his grasp and is sovereign to him versus what our responsibility is. So I don't think we are responsible for the information we have, knowledge we have, and I don't think the state has proven itself worthy to possess this knowledge. It's not a very good God, the state. <laughs> At least of all the United States of America as, as a God, it, it fares very, very poorly. What it does not have incompetence, it uh, makes up for in coercive threats. And I think that's where I, uh, John Whitehead's contribution to the Rutherford Institute, which Calcedon has been supportive of it, at least since back as far as 1983, when they launched their mission against uh, abortions and killing like that, and then expanding their mission further. We need a voice like that to warn us and to wake us up and to support those who are leading the fight. You don't have to be a fan of the U.S. Constitution to realize that there's something very, very wrong here that can be attacked using that particular mechanism. There's times when you do structure your attack to be wise, but you don't yield on your principles. I think that's the big problem is that we don't even have principles to stand on by and large as the church. In fact, when I went to New York in 2005 to listen to uh, attacks on Reconstructionism by those who oppose it most vigorously, they defined antinomianism as opposition to civil government's acts. So by the definition of the state, we're antinomian if we object to this survey. This is a very clever bait and switch on the use of the terms. We regard antinomianism historically as violation and, and rejection of the law of God in substitution for humanistic law. But that's been rewritten. So even definitions are now being adjusted, which is another claim that the state has upon all knowledge and how it's disposed and dispensed to us. So we need to realize that things must be interpreted through God's eye view and not through man's eye view, which is is faulty. It's simply a fallen situation and is not definitive and normative. Only the law of God and the word of God stands forever. The word of man fails but God's law will stand when the, when the earth is dust. And that's why Kelsey's emphasis from the outset has been Christian education. And that just yeah. doesn't limit it to grammar school or high school. There are many graduates of the state school system who are so much in the dark that they might find this discussion a little bit strange. I mean, aren't there more important things to worry about than this? And yet, if you don't have the foundation, I think it's one of the reasons why we really have to steer people away from the idea that higher education with state credentials is going to get them anything in terms of the kingdom of God, that people would be better served hanging out at the Rutherford Institute's website, reading and listening to what's on the Chalcedon website and and other valuable resources to truly become educated, because they won't be able to think biblically if they don't have a framework with which to look at it. Right. And let me ask you, Andrea, are you planning on on sending back this survey? Well, what I did do, John mentioned that a letter that is on the Rutherford website, and I sent that out immediately. I had to adjust it a little bit because I had to make sure that the head of the Census Bureau was the same guy that was on their letter. But I'm prepared now. I even actually copied out the Bill of Rights so that if someone does come to my door, I can hold up the Fourth Amendment and say no. And I've already been in touch with my lawyer with regards to this. And I've sent a letter to the Census Bureau. So we're all good. You can leave now. Well, you know, it was really nice doing this podcast with you. But I'll have to visit you in jail after you (laughs) did this. 
No, but I think that's interesting. You mentioned that there are fines and they're going to track you down. And so some people might be listening to this and have heard the spiel about the census before and really walk away thinking, well, I'll tell them what ethnicity I am and what people, because it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But I think that if you're a student of biblical law, you recognize that there's the law and that there's the sanctions and that they reveal how important that law is. And so if the government is willing to impose sanctions of of jail or fines or things, this is something they take very seriously. And so it's not a matter of us coming to a conspiracy, but everything that that Mr. Salbretti has said about them becoming godlike is revealed in the sanctions that they're willing to put on people who don't participate. It's not so much we care about your minority. We compare, we care about being the ones who mediate information and how it is to be understood. And that's how we keep our control. Right. And as, as um, John pointed out, nobody has actually, as far as he knows, been financially fined or cottered off to jail. And that's why the, the letter seems to have been effective in having them go, okay, um, we'll go to the next person. Since, as he pointed out, 97% of the people fill it out anyhow. I, I really think that bringing it to light, which is became personal, you know, in the Godfather movies, Don Corleone says, it's not personal, it's business. Well, for me, it's business and personal. I'm the one who got the notice in the mail, but the business of the kingdom of God says, we don't roll over and just do what they tell us to do. Correct. All right. Well, you mentioned Christianity in the State, Martin, as one of Rush Dooney's books. Any other recommendations you would have for listeners in terms of how to come more up to speed on this? Yes, Sovereignty. Uh, It was published posthumously, but the beauty of that book is it explains in painful detail, in in the sense of painful not to read, but painful to to understand it, because you realize how far gone we are in in, uh, sliding sovereignty from God over onto man's shoulders. The overreach is explained point by point, level by level, historical incident by historical incident, where we see how the church, asleep at the switch, allowed the state to grow into a false god that everyone by implication is worshiping because it's the one we're obeying. You know, we do not obey the Lord God. We kind of throw his law under the bus, but we treat the uh, law of man as the our salvation. The problem, of course, is later in Psalm 94.20 that the wicked frame mischief using law. All these sanctions and all these legal principles that are arrayed against the word of God in opposition to it, they work mischief in our culture, and these are various forms of mischief that are penetrating us, and if the Christians aren't going to be the salt and the light to push back against it, who is? Libertarians don't have a complete worldview, so though they're right on certain parts and therefore can be co-belligerents in the battle, their ultimate commitment is to themselves. Self-ownership is one of their fundamental principles for those who are secular libertarians, and the Christian libertarians are at war between themselves. So there's no unity as to the principle by which we oppose state overreach, other than we all agree that it's wrong. But we agree it's wrong for different reasons. And so we're not going to find a unifying principle there. And therefore, we must press the crown rights of Christ as opposed to the crown rights of the individual man, because we're made in his image and we are his property. And that's where that book Sovereignty comes in, because the state regards us as its property. Children are the wards of the state, and everything that you have in principle belongs to the state. And when pushed, the state will actually 
let you know it in no uncertain terms that it's calling the shots and it believes that you owe it ultimate allegiance. And it's that, that's that danger that we, the true allegiance that we all owe is to our creator and our redeemer and our judge and our lawgiver and king. But when we substitute a human king in the mix, then that's where tyranny arises. And uh, that's why that book is so excellent, because it shows all the ways that, apparent, that uh, apparently benign forms of government overreach are tyrannical because he traces what happens as a result, that uh, these, there are plenty of slippery slopes. The only st- safe place that is not a slippery slope is on sending on the word of God. Every other place is a slippery slope back to tyranny. It's just going to take a different route to get to the bottom of the mountain where the junk heap is, either through anarchy on the one side or collectivism and totalitarianism on the other side. So uh, we have to be mindful of all these these aspects. But yes, Dr. Rashtuni's Sovereignty would be the second book I'd recommend on this topic. Steve, how about you? Do you have any uh, recommendations? Well, of course. And since we had uh, John Whitehead on here, we have to recommend his book, uh, Government of Wolves, and talk about this other examples beyond just the census where uh, their encroachments are existing and have existed for the last 100 years. And on Rushton's books, The Nature of the American System and also his uh, This Independent Republic tell you the story of how have Christians fought back despotic or autocratic rulers through constitutional governments, through individual participation, through local governments, through federalism. There's been a number of ways that Christians have established God's law, God's boundaries to keep back the state and to rein back liberty, what you were talking about here at the top of our talk. One last recommendation I would make is the collection of his transcribed broadcasts, Our Threatened Freedom. And I actually think that people can be reading all these books at the same time. Because Rush Dooney wrote in concise and relatively short chapters, um, you can do what I used to do, especially as a mom who was taking kids various places. I would have certain books that I would pick up if I had to wait 20 minutes for the piano lesson to be over, or if I had some time where I was going into a doctor's office, I might take a lighter read, things like that. And you'd be surprised at how much wisdom is there when you are building foundation upon foundation. Amen. Well, listeners, thank you for giving us the time to share this information with you. Let us hear some feedback. You can email us at out of the question podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Steve, as usual. And Martin, we appreciate you giving us your time. My pleasure. All right, Angie. Next time we'll do the podcast from your jail cell. And, uh, <laughs> but with that, thank you again for, for your conversation with John Whitehead and make sure you visit him at the Rutherford Institute too, listeners. Thanks for listening to out of the question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.